Good morning. Our scripture this morning comes from Luke's gospel, the first chapter. I'll be reading verses 5 through 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their Lord, their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Let's pray for Pastor Mike as he comes this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words written by Luke. For they tell of a man who had a great encounter with an angel and yet still failed to believe. And Lord, some of us today will have a great encounter today with your words. But we pray, Lord, that on hearing them, we would believe. And God, as you sent Gabriel to speak these words to Zechariah, we, we know and believe that you sent Pastor Mike to us this morning. So may we hear your words through him as he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't you love it when the church turns its uh, look towards Advent and Christmas? It's so beautiful in here. I love to see those signs and symbols. So let's go. Have you heard the news? Have you heard the news? Have you? 
Good. You know, that question's asked millions of times in millions of different contexts, in, in, in many different connotations. I can remember being downstairs just last spring, and I was sitting at the powerhouse uh, table, you know, and the kids were all around, and somebody over a couple tables away said, have you heard the news? Jimmy asked Susie to prom. Have you heard the news? I thought, man, I thought Jimmy was taking Diane. No, that was last year, Pastor Mike. Okay. Have you heard the news? Have you ever received that phone call that that says, I just want to share some news with you. You're going to be a grandpa, Dad. Have you heard the news? Have you heard the news? Highway 100's behind schedule. (laughs) Have you heard the news? Have you heard the news, some of you that really love this, the Hawkeyes beat Nebraska? Have you heard the news? We, we love to know what's going on. News, if you look it up on the internet, has two definitions to it. One is newly received, noteworthy information, especially about important or recent events. The other one, I had no idea that news was an acronym. Did you know news was an acronym? The, the news is an acronym that means you get to hear everything that comes from the north, the east, south, and the west. The West and the South. The news. Everything. Every generation everywhere wants to know what's going on. What the heck is going on? Some of us have gone to different places across America or even South America or Africa. And we've gone in and we've saw, seen caves. And on the caves there are these hieroglyphics that have paintings and pictures that basically are saying, here's the news. The buffalo are that way. Here's the news. We're always wanting to know the news. Some cultures in China and the Native Americans would, would put blankets over fires and let smoke s- signals go up, which, which basically called people to say, get over here and hear the news. We, we need to tell you the news. And, and back in, in Europe, in early America, men would go into the middle of the town square with, with large bullhorns or, or megaphones and scream out the news. And then, of course, the printing press came. And then the 24-hour news cycle. Don't you love being part of that? We don't get to just live a day anymore. We're part of the 24-hour news cycle. This is my favorite news cycle. My, my favorite news story is when you, you wake up, you know, and you're getting your bowl of Cheerios together and getting the coffee going, and you just you mistakenly turn on TV. And it's 7.30 in the morning central time, and there's some little girl all dressed up, and she's got a microphone. She's standing in front of a courthouse in California, and she says, later today, something's going to happen in here. And when you get done with your Cheerios and you're washing your coffee cup, they flash back to her. It's 45 minutes later. And she says, a little bit less later than it was earlier today. Something's going to happen in here. And all day long, that poor girl stands in front of that courthouse. And then the people that are supposed to come don't even show up. And they say, well, I guess it'll happen tomorrow. You know, we we want the news. We're so addicted to the news. We want it. Did you know now that there is a television and internet source that is completely not, divided, not devoted to the news, but news about the news, and news about the people that give the news. And you can pay $3,000 a week, you can Google this later, you can pay $3,000 a week to go to a rehab center in California, of course, that will help you get over your addiction to the news. You think I'm kidding. That's a thing that's really out there. See, we love to know what's going on. We love to know what's going on. 
And hear this. Some news is not for everyone. It's just not. Not everyone gets the news. Some news is not for everyone. I know that probably even during the course of some of you's last weekend, your holiday weekend, somebody have said, hey, come over here. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. But I don't want everyone else to know yet. Did some of you have those conversations? You'll get an envelope in the mail that says, confidential, private. That news is just for you. You need to know, but not everybody else needs to know quite yet. Don't tell everyone else. But not everyone gets the news sometimes because they're unable to receive it or they're unready to receive it. See, the scripture stories from from Genesis through Revelation is all good news. It's all good news. It tells us the good news, and yet not everyone gets the news. And the news is not for everyone. See, some people are unready to receive it. Their minds have not been prepared. They have no context in which they can receive the news. When they hear the stories of Scripture, they they think they're idle tales. They think they're just things that people are saying in the culture in which they live. Others are unable to receive it because they've heard a little bit about it, but their minds and their hearts are unable to receive what is possible. So when we come across Advent, and we do every year in the Christian church, Pastor Keith and I decided we might want to look at a, a series revolving around who gets the news. Not, not who hears the news, but who actually gets it. And, and to really talk about the people and groups that God chooses to hear the news. And, and if you've really thought about it, it's not who you expect. While the news is broadcast in a shotgun spread through the Old Testament, when it comes into the New Testament, who gets the news takes a little bit more of a laser beam focus. When you look at the stories that we'll look at, and hopefully you have as you got your bulletins today and look forward to your Advent planning, you'll see that who gets the news? Childless old people that are devoted to God and hang around the church all day. That's, that's who gets the news. A young woman who doesn't want to be pregnant, but is, she gets the news. A dad who knows he's really not a dad, but needs to become a dad, he gets the news. The bottom rung of the social stratosphere, those Bedouins out in the, 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 the herds herding the sheep, they get the news. The learned and the aristocrat that have been studying and thinking and watching the stars for years and years and who can afford a three-month trip away from home, they get the news. But not everybody gets the news. So the question is, who gets the news? And the answer is, those who are ready to hear it and willing to respond it. That's who gets the news. Who gets the news? A couple of childless old folks who devote their lives to God. Now it says right in the, the scripture that Keith read a few moments ago that Elizabeth is of the, 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 the genealogical pool of Aaron. And so is Zechariah, but Zechariah is of the, of the tribe of Abijah, and he's a priest. These are faithful people. Both righteous before God, which is not to say that they were without sin, but it says they're righteous and living blamelessly. It means that at every turn in their life, no matter what they came up on, upon, they loved God and sought to do life right. They sought to do life according to God's will. 
They were devoted, now watch what the scripture does here. They were devoted, but childless. You know, we don't get that because some people in our generation want to be childless. It's a thing, and that's okay. And they can love God and be childless, and we can love God and be childless. But you see, in, 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 in Zechariah and Elizabeth's time, that is an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron to be childless and faithful. See, contemporary readers would have read that and say, wait a second, you can be faithful and have children, or you can be unfaithful and not have children, but to say you're faithful and have no children, that is a contradiction of terms in the generation in which they live, because people who love God were blessed with children. Children were one of God's greatest blessings. They were the ones that could help you towards your old age and so on and so forth. Not only that, but the scripture says, and they were old. This is a book that has Methuselah in it and Noah in it and Abraham in it. And it records that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old, which is to say, past the time when this should happen. So, a little context of what's happening in worship. Zechariah being the priest, he goes in there and he lights the incense and it begins to burn. Now, th- those of us that are not from a Catholic tradition or, or Jewish um, need to know what that's all about. See, when the incense starts to burn, not only does it have this great fragrance, but the smoke goes up. That's just the nature of smoke. Heat rises, right? And so the people in the Jerusalem temple or, or, or would have been waiting outside to see the smoke rise from the chimney, I suspect, but, but at least out of the room. And, and their worship was not inside. That's where the priest was. The priest was in the holy. And, and, and the priest would light, Zechariah would light the incense on fire. And when the smoke began to ascend beyond the top of, uh, of the stack, that's when the people would begin to pray, pray. Because the smoke arising from incense is a very physical reminder or a physical sign to those of us that would be praying still today in some traditions that our prayers ascend to God. They go up to God. And so when the people start praying, then something big happens. And the people outside were praying for the deliverance of Israel. They've been praying for years for the deliverance of Israel. They've been awaiting the deliverance of Israel for for centuries. And today, the day that Zechariah lights the incense on the altar, deliverance comes. News comes in a special way. And that news comes directly from God. It's not an end run. It's not coming in a message. It comes directly from God. Now, in just a minute, I, I just need to teach you a little bit just to prove to you again that I have a graduate degree and that I've read the Bible. That's probably more important. So the birth stories in, in the scriptures are very much have a lot of parallels in them. So, so I want to share with you the parallels between this birth story, the birth story of John the Baptist, and by the way, the birth story of Jesus will have the same parallel, which we'll be reading about in the next couple of weeks. They have the same parallels, they have these parallels to, to the birth narratives of, of many special beings in our Old Testament history, Ishmael, Isaac, Samson. First, an angel appears to a person to whom the announcement's been made. There's Gabriel standing beside Zechariah. Second, that person experiences fear in the presence of a supernatural being, which in a, in, incidentally is the appropriate reaction. Okay? That when you see an angel, apparently you're supposed to be afraid because they always say, don't be afraid. Third, 
In delivering the, 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 the message, the angel always calls the recipient by name. And in this case, he says, Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. In the address, the angel refers to some quality of the recipient, in this case, his prayers. The recipient's told not to be afraid. You saw that. A woman is about to be pregnant. That's also there. She'll give birth to the male child, and the name by which the child will be called will be given. And here, it's given as John. You'll see the very same thing happening to Joseph and Jesus and Mary about Jesus. The name is explained. What does John mean? And something said up about what said about what the child will grow up to be. And the child's going to be the forebearer of the Messiah. And then, now watch this, this because this is kind of where the scriptures gets funny. The recipient asked how this is going to happen, or he asked for a sign. And Zechariah does both. Hey, we're old. How's this going to happen? Show me a sign. <laughs> you got to imagine Gabriel, which we can't because we're not angels. Gabriel's like, I'm standing right here. I'm the one that stands in the presence of the holy. Don't you notice me? That's your sign. My very presence is your sign. And so, of course, the sign that's given is his very presence. So, back to the news. The news begins with the angel Gabriel saying to Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. Your prayers have been answered. What you've been praying for all of your life, all of your married life, has been answered. Because Zechariah and Elizabeth were positioned. See, they were the ones that were ready to hear God's news. They had literally prayed for it for years. And so like in the words of David the psalmist in Psalm 28 where it says, Praise be to the Lord, for the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The news comes to them. And that news is for us too. When you, when you look at that scripture in Psalm 28 verse 6, Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. You understand that that news is for you. In Psalm 66, verse 19, it says, But God has surely listened and heard my prayer. You see, this is the news. The news is that God works in impossible situations. God laughs at the impossible. Do you know that? I mean, that's part of the scripture message that God laughs in the face of the impossible nature that human beings put in front of things. As a matter of fact, it's in the impossible that God does his great work. His best work's done in the impossible. I mean, he speaks into the spiritual dryness of Israel after 400 years. At the end of the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the New Testament, Old Testament, God goes silent. He goes silent to his people. And 400 years have transpired since that, from that day till the day that we read about in scriptures. And yet, throughout that time, Israel was praying. But one thing we know that's impossible is barren old people do not have children. We, we are hearing that, that God's going to do the impossible, <clears throat> that he's going to get people. Do you know how hard it is to get people out of their homes now to go somewhere? And yet the scripture says that everybody in Israel is going to get up out of their homes and go out into the wilderness where all the dangers of that day were to listen to this prophet, John the Baptist, and be baptized. Because, according to God's angel, the world needs a change of heart. The world needs a change of heart. And you see, the fact of the matter is that same, the word same, 
Not change is what people in most generations love. I'll take you to an easy example. Over here, a moment ago, Vicki led us in the lighting of the first Advent candle, the candle of hope. Now, for most of us that have come by the church for many years, we've seen the Advent candles lit before, and it's kind of part of our annual walk through Advent. We love to see the candles Three purples and a pink. And by the way, it's two purples, then a pink. Uh, some Lutherans got in here with this pink one. I don't... That's not a Methodist thing. You Lutherans got this in here. You're always having to remember the right order. But you see, there's this traditional walk through Advent. And, and at some level, we like it because it's the same every year. But the very nature of a church that has the audacity to put an Advent wreath in their church proclaims that change, not same, is coming. Change, not, not the same, is coming. There, there's, there's this thing that says about the Advent candles that, that God is calling out to us, I don't need your religion, I want your faith. I, I don't want your, 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 your worship, I want your hearts. Because your heart is, is, is where your, your, your life is. And so the change that comes in Advent is, starts with John the Baptist and the proclamation of his message, which begins with simply this, turn from your sin. People had wandered their path for hundreds of years, their own path, and into that wilderness comes John the Baptist that says, you have gone far from God. Turn from your sin, come back to the way of God. And John's message is simple. I mean, I'm telling you what, you guys hear us preach. John the Baptist preached for years, just repent and believe in the God. Repent, repent. Repent, repent. And, and some, someone would have said to him, hey, don't you have another trick, pony? Don't you have something else to say? Can't you tell us a humorous antidote? Can't you give us an illustration about some interesting thing? And John would say, sure, repent. Repent. He only struck one note because that was the note he was sent to hit. And secondly, the message that comes through Zechariah is, Live with a sense of urgency in the immediacy of God. See, the time is right now. When God comes to, to Zechariah and Elizabeth, the time is right then. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but there had to be the gestation of a human being, the birth and the growing up and the, the discipline, but that was the right now. That was the way immediacy happened to them the time to, to come is right now. God has drawn near to us, says, says the angel Gabriel. He's not far. I'm right here. You want a sign? I'm right here, he says to, to Zechariah. And the news is unbending, and it's fearless because it's holy. The news may not tickle your ears. Not then, not now. But it is from the holy God. And it's his to share. Not yours to remanufacture. The very same message comes to us. God has chosen us. This is neat, really the cool thing about Christianity. This is really cool thing about our generation is God has chosen us to get the news. Advent's a decision time. It's not just a nostalgic time. It's not just a time where we walk in and say, oh, isn't the church so pretty? I just love it when it's Christmas time. Well, if it's Christmas time in the church, that means it better be, better be Christmas time for you. See, Advent's a decision time where it simply asks us, you get the news. What are you going to do about it? 
What are you going to do with the news? The, the opportunity of the gospel has been trans, transmitted to you. Praise the Lord. We'll hear the news. We can <clears throat> hear the news. But hearing it, what will we decide to do about it? I mean, this is something that we need to look at every single day, not just every advent. What will we do with the news? Because I'll tell you this, God works in your impossible situations. He said that to Zechariah and he says it to you. I do my best work in the midst of your impossible. Impossible is where I do my thing. Impossible is, is where my portfolio are, is. He speaks into the dryness of, of your spiritual deserts in your life. It might seem impossible to us, but not to him. Do you know a little bit about the credentials of the Holy God? Not only did we say some of them in the Nicene Creed, but, but the Holy God says, let there be light, there is. Let there be order, there is. He says, let the sea become dry land, it is. He says, let that man walk across the water, he does. Let that man rise from the dead, he does. Let the Spirit come down and give people that don't know languages the languages to tell the truth about me, and that happens. That's just a little bit of the credentials of our holy God. So when you start saying, well, things are impossible, you say, well, for me, maybe, but not for him. His whole work is done in the midst of the impossible. Our preparation needs to be is by living righteously, seeking at every single moment in whatever it is that we're doing in our lives to do the right thing by way of scriptures, knowing that we're fallen and we won't hit it right every time, but seeking to live blameless lives just like Zechariah and Elizabeth were. Because like then, the world needs a change of heart now. The world absolutely needs a change of heart because the world in which you and I live does not match the heart of God. Do you, do you believe that? The world in which you're living, the world in which I live, does not match the heart of God. And it must. You see, the church has been working for hundreds of years now to make this thing that Paul said true. There is this little statement that I love, and I used to finish almost every prayer I ever prayed, that we lean forward to that great day when every knee shall bow, when every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what we strive for. That's what we endeavor for. And if that happens... It means that our heart will be the same as God, but we are not yet right now. And so often in our culture, in the cultures in which you live, we say, well, we're okay, we have our, our religion, but guess what? God doesn't want your religion. He wants your heart. It's from your heart comes your witness. It's from your heart that comes your allegiance. It's from your heart that comes your offering. It's from your heart that comes your service. So, so turn. Turn from your sin. This is the message of John the Baptist, the message of every preacher that ever lived. It's the message of actually every Christian that ever should live. Turn. Stop by humbling yourself and admit who you are. So that's one of the hardest things we do is we, we, we have a hard time admitting who we are. We sometimes will say in a group of people, well, I'm not perfect, to which, by the way, internally, everybody that's ever met you says, well, yeah, we know right but very infrequently do we bend down and say lord forgive me i'm a sinner i'm truly a sinner i have this whole portfolio of things that i do wrong with great consistency i'm a sinner please lord wash that out of my life and make me clean and you know what so many of us have been to church so many times so many of us have heard the everlasting gospel so many times that when I say, hey, you need to turn from your sin, you're like, check, I know. I'm asking, check, do you believe and are you about that business? Because it starts by humbling yourself. It starts by believing that God notices and cares about you. He notices you. He cares about you. He knows 
what your sins are. And he's really kind of interested in whether you're really willing to turn from those sins or not. If you really want to leave him at his altar, he'll take them and clean you up. But the question is, do you want to? Do you want to receive the forgiveness and the stainless life that God desires to give you? You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But do you want it? And secondly, are you willing to live with the sense of the immediacy of God? See, the scriptures are so clear. This is the way Zechariah and Elizabeth lived too. The scriptures are so clear about the fact that the time is now. You know, there's no tomorrow. We so often say, well, right now, here's what we'd say. Well, after the holidays. I'll attend to my spiritual life after the holidays. I'm so busy now. What are you busy about in the holidays that are about your spiritual life that you don't have time to attend your spiritual life? You know that Christmas is about your spiritual life, right? It's not about Santa Claus or anything else. That's some of the trappings of the fun that we put around it. Pastor Keith and I and Vicki and probably anybody that's ever had this kind of a role, some of us on our home communion teams, have, have been with people in the hospice room, in their families, sites of accidents, who've looked right into our face, who've looked right into our face and said, man, I thought I'd have more time to get right with God. I thought I'd have more time. But the scripture says, you know not the hour of the day. There may be a tomorrow. There's no guaranteed. Heck, even your grandma used to say, God willing, lest the creek rises, right? We don't know what the day is bringing to us. More times in my life than a few. Honestly, in this congregation too, more times than a few have people left a Sunday morning worship service and not seen this next day. How, how do we know what's coming? I could name names, but you probably know them. We don't know what's coming. And the preparations in front of us have hope in God. Turn your life to him. You you need not delay. But God has drawn near to you. He's not far. He's not hidden out there. And lastly, and I'll turn you to the rest of your faithful lives. The news is unbending. And it's fearless because it's holy. You see, the news may tick, not tickle your ears, but it is from the Holy God. When Keith and I <clears throat> stand up here and share the truth of the gospel, it's God's to share with you. It's not ours to manufacture. I hope you know this about your pastors. We don't manufacture the gospel. We don't remanufacture the gospel. As a matter of fact, in Titus and Timothy, it tells us if we do remanufacture the gospel, frankly, we're going to hell because we've led you in the wrong place and we've become false teachers. And that's not my intention, to end there. My intention is to end this well so that when my life has its last beat, I look at my Savior and he says, welcome home. But the news of God is unbending and fearless because, it's, because it is holy and it's for you. Not so that you might have a bunch of good feelings. Not so that you might just drink in Christmas in a deeper and richer way. Nah, that's not what it's about. It's truly there. So at the deepest, richest level that you can think of, it may be well with your soul. It may be well with your soul because your life has joined with God in ways that are unbreakable 
in ways that he can do his best work in the midst of your impossible. In ways that your heart and your mind are changed in such a way that they lean into and drive the same way with God. You see, the news of the scripture that is proclaimed to you and to many and to our near and far off is that if you receive it, it can be well with your soul. And so I proclaim that to, the name, to you in the name of the Most High, Jesus Christ our Lord, the firstborn from the dead, the only born from a virgin, who is Christ our King. Amen. Take a look at this. Thank you.